Welcome to Nota Bene, brought to you by Seesaw, the only app you need to get you to see the art you want to see. And Ben, it's a free app. You can download it in the App Store. It's amazing. I've been using it for years. I go on Seesaw, flag the galleries that I want to see, and it shows up in a custom-made map. What else does it do, Ben? Uh, I mean, that's basically it. You go online. Say, say you're traveling somewhere. Say you're just in New York. It shows you all the relevant galleries, what the shows are, when they're open until, meaning like when like the show's done. You click on the ones you actually care about and want to see, leave all the crap aside, and then it'll build you custom maps. You can walk around. You don't miss any shows. And then like gallery owners don't get mad at you because you didn't see the last four shows because now you're able to see it all because of Seesaw available for free in the App Store. Gallery owners are still going to get mad at me, but that's okay. They just get mags I don't buy. Nate, what's going on, my friend? Welcome to Nota Bene. It's good to be back. It's been a jam-packed week, and I think we have a jam-packed week ahead of us. You were were late again. I was late again. Did you miss your train from D.C. again? I don't even have an excuse. Um, Well, welcome. Welcome once again to our studio, which is also my office, overlooking the beautiful and noisy Union Square. Uh, Ambulances going past and everything, rain out the window. It's a little melancholic out there. I like it. It fits my mood. We're joined by special guest host, Andrew Neustein. How do you do? Very well. Thank you for having me. Uh, and Nate, I think we decided the other night, halfway through dinner in our third bottle of wine, that she should join us today. <laughs> it was definitely into our third bottle of wine at Wu's Wonton King. Oh, my favorite restaurant the in the dream. world right now. My absolute favorite restaurant. I would like to sign them up as a sponsor for the podcast, although I will do it for free. <laughs> I think that can probably be arranged. You eat there twice a week. Uh, yeah, well, one you know, At one least. daytime with the family, and then uh-huh. one evening time with the, the family and friends, perhaps. Right. That was uh, outdoor seating, mm-hmm. fantastic food, cost mm-hmm. basically nothing. It's free by our standards, and you can bring your own bottles. So I'm not sure. You guys were all pretty slow, so I'm not sure if anyone noticed the wine, but the wines were all really good. They were really. I, I did notice them. I certainly noticed the wine. Okay, just making uh-huh. sure. I didn't. No one stood up and clapped for me for my selection, <laughs> so I was feeling a little we bit. We were put busy out. singing "Happy Birthday" to a, to a stranger. <laughs> we who, were singing "Happy Birthday" to a stranger who we learned from her brother or somebody at her table repeatedly announced that she was single. So who, right. who went around to all the other tables. <laughs> sitting outside uh, mm-hmm. and announced that she was single and available. Did she leave with someone? I can't recall. <laughs> I think she... J- just shame and embarrassment. I think we're her only, the only thing she walked away from that dinner with. Yeah. But it was a lovely dinner. We over-ordered, I would say, which is far for the course, but then... Happily, we're joined by the editorial Well, I mean, staff. we should, we, hold on, before, before we get to the name dropping, we should get to, I mean, the order, which I like to do, <laughs> which they made me order before anyone showed up and, you know. I was relatively on time. Others were not. I like their staunch and uncompromising manner. Hundred percent, totally, totally on board with it. But it put yeah. me on the spot. So went with like some rice noodles with duck. We had two lobsters with ginger scallion sauce. We had seafood the, rice. The the sauce. Crab rice. Oh, Singapore pork chops. Mm. Yeah. They like Peking style pork chops, right. fried pork chops. Regardless of where they're from, they were so so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. True, true story. Anyway, so we I over ordered because it ended up just being the three of us. But we had some guests that came and helped us out. Who came? Uh, it was the editorial staff of the Brain Trust behind the Drunken Canal, which is one of my favorite publications. On the eve of the publication of the a new issue, no less. 
And I got my first issue, which is mm-hmm. very exciting. And you learned what it was. You I learned certainly... what it was after having been out of the country. The, for those of years. us that were born after 19, uh, before 1985 <laughs> and live north of 23rd right. Street. Exactly. I, I mean, this is one of the biggest things in my life the past few months. But I realized that if you live above Delancey, you've probably never heard of this newspaper. Yeah. Well, I also haven't been in New York for a while. So I, I used to live on the Lower East Side, actually, like a few blocks away from there and work there. But... I'm yeah, I'm woefully out of touch, but I I loved meeting them, and I love the name Goots. Goots, yeah, <laughs> what a incredible human Goots is. Goots Guten, what is it? Goots Gutenberg. Mm-hmm. Goots, it, I mean, Goot- that's not that can't possibly be her real first name, is it? It is now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Point taken. Anyway, so we you know we've caught a lot of flack date for being. Um, uh, somewhat unintelligent, um, right. somewhat frivolous, mm-hmm. um, apolitical, um, oh, certainly, and and dude like. And so that. one reason was that Andrew is she's none of those things. She's smart, <laughs> witty, cosmopolitan, <laughs> politically engaged. Um, right. True. Better Sometimes dressed to I my mean, detriment. Yeah. <laughs> certainly better dressed. Oh, thank you. Um, but beyond being all those things, you've been in the art world for uh, a, a, a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew you when you worked with galleries, multiple different galleries. When mm-hmm. did I first meet you? It was oh before. It was before you worked for Blum and Poe in New York. What were you doing I think immediately I was working, before that? I think I was working at Miguel Abreu Gallery on the first uh, at the first Orchard Street location. Mm-hmm. Um, that must have been my God. I think 2011, 2011, and it was kind of. At the, you know, it was like four years into Orchard Street being a kind of arts hub of some kind. And there were a huge number of galleries that had just opened up right along that street and on our block um, back then. That was really the year, I feel like. Yeah, that was the year, I think. Yeah, we, you know, at Miguel's, like, uh, Rebecca, uh, R.H. Quaitman had just been in the Whitney Biennial. And all these, uh, you know, it was the... I think the first year among many years where the New York Times spotlit the Lower East Side as an up and coming neighborhood, which they did basically biannually. It's Tribeca's turn now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's only uh, a matter of weeks. Were you going to the Whitney Independent Study Program at that same time, or did you work there after you graduated? I I I like to sort of have my hands in a lot of different. Uh, I like to be a sort of jack of multiple uh, trades. So, no, I actually did Whitney ISP while I was at the gallery. So I was was full-time at the gallery and doing the Whitney ISP in 2013. Lacan in the day and Lacan at night. Well, it was like Lacan, yeah, it was like Lacan at the gallery and, uh, you know, British Marxist in the late afternoon. <laughs> it's the, yeah. the, the one that sticks out in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. For those who don't know, the Whitney Independent Study Program is, uh, uh, I mean, it's basically like a yeshiva for post-structuralist theory, <laughs> theory teaching in the art world. It's been going on for since 1968 or something like that. Yeah, since the since the late 60s. Since the late 60s. Mm-hmm. What you celebrate or blame for so much in the art world. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone from Julian Schnabel to Gavin Brown to much more mm-hmm. kind of intellectual uh, theorists have been through there. And anyway, You're saying that Schnabel's not an intellectual theorist? He's an intellectual, but I would never consider him a theorist. An auteur, perhaps. Anyway, but we wanted to have your voice here, and we're happy to have it. Um, I mean, you, you've also done a lot of other interesting things, but I'm not going to pry too much. There was like, I mean... <laughs> You were you you are currently. Would you call yourself an art advisor, an art dealer? Yeah, I think I'm like a. I right now I'm sort of a dilettante, but yeah, no, I'm an arts consultant, both for for um, for private collectors, but I also consult with institutions and with galleries. As I said, I like to have my hands in a lot of well, things. Gallery, so, galleries hire 
Yeah, so I'm working with um, Chert Luda, which is a gallery in Berlin, um, uh, on on some specific uh, projects and artists that they work with who have a who have a foundation here in New York. So the Rosemary Meyer Estate, for example, <clears throat> who's going to have a big year next year. Um, but also, like last year, I was helping out with a, a couple of things with the CCA, the Center of Contemporary Art in Tel Aviv, on their and founding. Um, and and doing events for their European friends group, so truly oh, like that's cool. I didn't, multiple... know one, I didn't know one could do that. <laughs> Turns out, if any other institutions want to hire me, I'm available. My email address is on the website. It's coming from my gig, huh? Yeah. <laughs> no, not not. I mean, you know, we, we could tag team side hustles. <laughs> Writers are like, a dime a dozen, man. I feel like I'm the queen of the side hustle. It's like my whole life is like a taster's listen or d'oeuvre. And, and, and native hustles. New Yorker, you moved back to New York from Berlin in the midst of the pandemic. Yes, exactly. Like, in the height like, of the pandemic. Like a few months ago, you happy to be back? I decided to relocate um, and move countries. I'm so happy to be back, back. Yeah, it's been and it was also really excellent timing, I have to say, on my own behalf, because shortly after I left, um, the numbers and and the kind of like infrastructure surrounding everything uh, pandemic related in Berlin started becoming markedly worse. I don't I don't mean to sound happy about I, that. I'm not. I saw Simon Denny shortly <clears throat> after he got to New York <clears throat> ahead of his show at Petzl, and he said that it was the first time he'd stepped foot inside a bar or restaurant in over a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then it didn't was, he host an after party for a show, which became a super spreading event? That's not what I was referring to. Oh, I, thought, I thought that's what we were saying. This was a casual to. night at Dr. Clark that Simon had to have him to come with us to. Okay, I like Simon Derry very much as a as a guy from what I know, and uh, and certainly as an artist. So I'm not casting any dispersions, just uh, just passing along the hot goss that has reached my ears. But um, it's true that Berlin basically was completely. I mean, I hadn't, everything there there was outdoor in the summer for a very short time, and then it closed down again. They're very risk averse uh, over there. In everything, in every way, <laughs> yes. Excellent for an art advisor. <laughs> um, and then before we get into the news of the day, and we do have some fun uh, topics of discussion, I want to ask uh, about. You told a great anecdote if you're if you're comfortable sharing about your alma mater and it's highly in demand athleisure wear. Oh my god! Okay, that's Set true. Set the stage. Set the stage, <laughs> wow. please. Well, I don't know if I should Listeners name names, but a certain downtown female comedienne slash online personality who I'm a huge fan of and who I love she contacted me and asked me if I could get her we were connected through a friend and she asked if I could get her Spence gear because I'm a Spence alumna alumnus alumna alumna um alumna yeah and I was like, yeah, no problem. Like, I have Spence stuff. I have, like, my old Spence polo shirt. I can just contact the alumni board. I'm technically an alumni representative randomly. Um, So I contacted them and asked if I could buy some, expecting them to be like, yeah, easy, yes. And they were like, no, sorry. (laughs) You can't. (laughs) Nothing's available right now. We know the hype beasts are circling, and we're not going to let them. (laughs) Gossip girl. They were like, no, we're going to have it. We'll contact you and we have another sales event expect like, the next drop coming this autumn <laughs> it was like a drop they were like we might have one surrounding the reunion this year but we might not <laughs> it's like okay geez um, i'm actually i've been so embarrassed that i haven't been able to get her any that i just i, I haven't like, told maybe, her did yet you, did you really go there <laughs> <laughs> 
You're actually a Miss Porter's I girl. They shipped you out of town. <laughs> I'm so ashamed to be a Miss Porter's girl that I claim to have gone to Spence. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first on that Tibetan. Anyway, Nate, there's some news happening in the world these news. days. The news of art, uh, beyond our, our downtown gossip. Freeze Los Angeles, which had been saying they were going to do a presentation scattered amongst various locations in person in Los Angeles in July realized that that was an absurd thing because their next regularly scheduled fair is in February. They're changing their venue. They'll no longer mm-hmm. be on the lot of the Paramount Film Studios, which was always kind of cool because you guys like go to Very the fair. Cool. I mean, fairs are, so cool. you know, little playoffs. So it's cool. You walk through. It just had this old Hollywood glamour and just, you know, the art world loves a film tie Yeah, so specific to that place also. Exactly. It felt like I a know. real location, like why to have a fair in Los Angeles. They're not going to be there. Where are they going? Well, they're going to a lot. Uh, right next to the Beverly Hilton, which is you know famously the hotel where the Golden Globes are held, which I think is appropriate because Freeze is like the Golden Globes to Basel's Oscars, you know. So <laughs> even saving that one up, man, <laughs> that felt rehearsed. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. What, what, so that out of the way over here. What, what but, are people saying about this? Um, people are not pleased for a number of reasons. One, as you said. Um, the, the Paramount lot was just a really wonderful place to have, not just an art fair, but anything it was really fun to walk around. Um, they had an incredible uh, sculpture, outdoor sculpture program within the back lot that was really fun to investigate. There were like, hidden little bars and restaurants in the fake New York that was always a great gimmick and a great lead for hack writers like myself. Um, and uh, I think people are going to miss that. The thing that I guess maybe people didn't realize, but I've certainly known from the start was that this location only allowed them to have 80 or 90 uh, galleries participating, which is way smaller than the fairs in New York and London. And the fairs in New York and London are so big because that's where the, the money is. You have more galleries paying. Yeah, if you scale fees. it up, you, that's the only way to actually break even Exactly. On so they were not breaking even on these Los Angeles fairs. Great buzz, great you know reception. Everyone loved it. But Freeze itself was not making money. And Endeavor... Its parent company needs Freeze to make money, so I th- they they didn't just buy Freeze to look cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I, a little bit though, right? I mean, it's a little bit of a brand they, building. They definitely, yeah. I mean, there was definitely some synergy uh, uh, reasons for buying Freeze. That's always know. a tough position to be in, though. I'd I'd assume Freeze wouldn't want to would want to at some point, you know, not be right. Not be the special needs child. At some point, of the people don't need to look that cool anymore. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Listen, I'm old now. Cool does not really pay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that this this will allow them to have um, a sort of more globally sized fair rather than the small ish fair that they had on the Paramount lot. Hmm. Granted, it won't be as cool. The Beverly Hilton is not that great of a place, having been to a number of Golden Globes myself. You know? How are the rooms? I mean. I wouldn't mind staying right next to the fair. I mean, that is one advantage for sure. It's literally at the Hilton. Like fairs um, you can walk to. I'm a I've big fan s- of. I've never stayed at the Beverly Hilton, actually. So I, I, I don't know what the rooms are like. It's kind of an old Grand Dame, uh, you know, Beverly Hills. Does it have a famous um, tiki bar, maybe? Or am I projecting? Maybe back in the day, but I don't think anymore. Um, you know, it's, it's not as nice as the Beverly Hills Hotel, of course. Now, when um, you say people were talking smack about it or weren't into it this fair goers or actual galleries which are the clients of the art fair um i i spoke to to dealers who usually participate in the fair and they said that the location isn't as is great just because it's sort of in a high traffic part of los angeles so it's not as easy to get to as the paramount lot which is sort of off to the side 
apparently. But there's also been rumors that, speaking of kind of Pacific Rim, that Freeze will be is potentially scouting Soul uh, to to do their uh, to do an Asian uh, an Asian Freeze. I love that idea. I love that I idea can. too. I would yeah. love an excuse to go to Seoul. Same. I've never Huge. been. Huge. Yeah. Also, I, all the cultural production and culinary production that's exciting for me right now on Earth. Music and TV and movies and everything is coming out of Korea. Like Korea to me is like the most exciting thing. Hundred percent. I mean, I know. I mean, K-pop to bimbap, like it's got it all. And Korean art, I think, also is something that hasn't, you know, hasn't been as explored Mm -hmm. in in contemporary, you know, U.S. art galleries. I mean, I guess at Blum and Poe when I was, yeah, I mean, that's where I, that's that's where I've seen all of it that I know about in a commercial (laughs) sense. Right, but that's you know one kind of specific thread of Dan Sequa, which is you know this '60s and '70s, this really kind of unified um, um, uh, group of, of really one group of artists. And I think that other than that, there's not a lot of exposure. And I've, I've been following like, um, what's his name? Who lives in uh, Andrew. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew I, I follow yeah. his Instagram and he it's posts amazing. all kinds of, you know, things that he sees in galleries there. And I'm always like bookmark, bookmark, bookmark. Exactly. It's so I'm, exciting. And his, his food knowledge is pretty good over there. Yeah. He's a, you know, he's a close friend of mine and he loves soul. He loves it so much. We might have to have Mon as a special so soul cool. correspondent. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear about what's going on over there. Cause I, I also see the pictures. I'm mostly like looking at the food, but the art as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just the history of, um, you know, the history of biennial, like Wanju biennial is like really fascinating. I'm not sure if enough people know about it yeah. and how it grew out of, uh, you know, a really intense political period there. Um, anyway, so that would be exciting. I'd rather, I mean, we've spoken about this enough, but like Hong Kong feels like really problematic going forward for hosting yeah. fairs. Um, but Seoul seems less so. Uh, right. And as much as I love Hong Kong, I'd be stoked to check out another Asian capital city uh, on the company dime, right. which means out of my own pocket. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see if that that if there is a free Seoul in 2022. It's probably going to be a 2023 thing at this point. But, you know, we can still look forward to it. I'll still be alive, I hope, I think. Yeah. Knock on wood. <laughs> um, but, uh, but speaking of Hong Kong, so Art Basel has released the list of galleries that will be showing in Hong Kong. They're going forward with the fair, Art Basel Hong Kong, in May. Uh, slightly pared down list. I didn't see any notable people that were missing, but I'm not a real journalist, so I didn't actually compare it to the last right. last fair's list. Um, but a lot of them are going to be kind of so-called ghost, ghost booths, exactly. where they'll be staffed uh, not by the Western galleries, because they don't want to have to quarant- do the intense quarantine, but will instead be uh, staffed by Art Basel representatives to present right. the work to local viewers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what was fascinating about that was I weeks ago, I would asked uh, Art Basel for the exhibitors list because we were getting pretty close to the fair and there was no exhibitor list on the website um, or at least to the press. And when they did, um, they combined all the galleries that are participating in their online viewing room with the galleries that are participating in the fair physically into oh. one list. And I was like, this is a little, you know, a little problematic here because everyone's just going to assume. Do they this. highlight which ones were online only? Well, I after some some pushing, they, they sent me back another list and they did specify which ones were online only, which ones were at the fair but but manned by the, the, the Art Basel reps and then which ones were uh, manned by the gallery reps. I mean, it might not have been nefarious. They might have just been still nailing down who was going to do what. And, right. And, I'm not, there's no blame here. I mean, it's, just, it's just a very tricky situation, obviously. And I think they're also like juggling you know i think they're they're allowing much more leeway than they than they usually would mm-hmm. to galleries to make kind of last minute decisions about Absolutely. stuff like that yeah galleries are trying as to much figure as out it's possible with that quarantine incredibly tricky situation here you know um people are, are still quarantining you know you have to quarantine if you're traveling within asia my friend nick buckleywood who works at today's ropash gallery um he had to do his second three-week long quarantine 
of, well, of this whole. That event. sounds so terrible. I know. And um, like, but they're uh, also, you know, I, I heard for Freeze New York, which is taking place, they're actually quarantining the art for like 10 days. The art wow. itself. The the physical objects. that will be, Yeah, so that. even from New York local galleries, Where? I mean, I guess it's something about an offsite warehouse, I presume. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just to present nutty. Isn't that nutty? Really Especially because we know that surface transmission isn't exactly. really much of a fear. Um, yeah. But uh, it's just something I heard. I, I, I don't, this isn't first hand, but it's from someone who runs a gallery that's, pr- that's Whatever participating. Whatever that Freeport idea? Wasn't there going to be a Freeport it, It's closing. There was. It's up in Harlem or yeah. the South Bronx. Um, South Bronx. And they just didn't generate enough business. I'm shocked. Um, Oh, I mean, bad use, timing, I suppose. Bad timing, right. and the the use of free ports, especially in America, is. is uh, I mean, I've had to become. I'm about to say I'm not attack like a uh, a duties uh, specialist, but I had to become one. It doesn't really save you that much unless you just. The only time I use them with clients when we when we're buying something from out of the country, uh, and we don't know where it's going to go, mm-hmm. meaning which country, which residence, where, mm-hmm. and we just like are we going to figure it out? So we have something from Basel that was very expensive from a few years ago. It's sitting there, and we'll deal with the import fees because you can't really. I mean doesn't really save you that much it just delays when sure. you're going to pay the taxes yeah. um and i don't think coming out of new york obviously delaware is the spot where that happens in the u.s if you're gonna right. if you're gonna park something you park it in delaware or if you're gonna open a company that you don't want to be able to have traced back or pay any serious corporate taxes do you know um, anything about that ben no no <laughs> actually i literally don't I, i'm lucky to say that all my clients believe in paying taxes other new york news that's art Adjacent, tangential, the Met Gala is going to be happening. Oh, man, I am so It's going to be happening in it's September this year. Uh, and uh, they announced both that the Gala will be happening and also the, the theme of the shows. And the key image that they used to announce these shows, which are about sort of American fashion, is a work by Sterling Ruby, who I know, first of, we all do as a fantastic contemporary artist uh, who now also does fashion uh, fashion work and has a fashion line. But the, the key image, the only image they've released in announcing the show is a piece by Sterling. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, honestly, when this show was announced, Sterling was one of the first people I thought of um, because he's an American who is pushing fashion forward in a, a very interesting way. Of course, I, I guess he's still better known as an artist, but um, you know, the, the recent profile of him in The New Yorker was very much about his transition to being a fashion designer, um, which you know we've been following very closely. You know, I uh, went to a few of the incredible... Raph Simmons shows for Calvin Klein that um, Sterling helped inspire and also he designed the set for and I interviewed Sterling and Raph about that and that was a really exciting thing for me because I was like super into that at the time still am um, Raph by the way is a fantastic collector um, and who's been actually ramping up his collection since sort of working with Misha Prada another great collector obviously anyway tangent um, but the second thing I thought of when the Mecca was announced was how am I going to get in? <laughs> well, aren't we all always thinking that? Yeah. Are you considered a fashion influencer, Nate? So I, I don't, I'm not sure. Because I, I, I they would... don't really allow press in, yeah, but other I mean, than Condé Nast, I don't think. I think they would want some wet paint coverage, don't you think? <laughs> I think our best bet is to camp out, hoping that the bar at Bemelman's at the Carlisle Hotel has reopened by then, and camp out there and can watch the ladies leave in their, in their gowns. <laughs> I mean, we should do that regardless. Um, but but I mean, but on Sterling, yeah, I mean, I, I actually flew to Florence to see his first real presentation right. yeah. at Pitti Uomo a few I'm, years ago so in, in June, which was like an awesome thing to do after Basel because it was both like mind melting the difference and the similarities and I'd never mm-hmm. really seen a high end fashion show before right. and it was like kind of absolutely dope but 
only lasted for like 12 minutes. I thought oh, you didn't a know lot that. of build up. Oh, for, yeah. yeah, a lot oh, of build up yeah. for not a lot. Yeah, I know. it's funny. Um, but I, I also, you know, so it made me think because um, I'm a big fan of Sterling's artwork across a, varied, a variety of media, and, and the fashion part makes sense to me within the construct of his artwork. But I went looking through the Metropolitan Museum of Art's website to see if they held any Sterling Ruby work in their collection or have ever featured him in a show. And I don't think so. So it's interesting that perhaps his first uh, entree into the Met will be via his fashion work Very and not his other cultural production. Mm. I mean, I, I would call that almost an oversight on the part of the Mets. So I think they should... 100%. Have, I, yeah. thought, I, I presumed I would be proven wrong when I did the search. And honestly, like, I'm not that smart, so I might have missed it. Someone please correct me. Mm. <laughs> but like, how, do they, how do they not have an SR spray, spray painting considering they have a room full of Rothkos? What is the actual theme of... I didn't actually it's see. America. Oh, just America. I think it's slightly more complicated than that but but basically just america american style there we go politics are involved uh i'm just reading the press release now i'm not going to skim through it but yeah it's about america (laughs) and and i think and my guess is if it's sterling involved my guess is maybe it's about um uniquely american vernacular approaches to fashion perhaps street fashion will be part of that um you know because sterling's always been i think before he even made clothing was into the notion of quilting as a uniquely american vernacular uh art form and the first one that that happened um solely here yeah uh, what a big subject too and an interesting one for for vogue to be taking on because the whole i think the whole what's so fascinating about american style is that it is a very um uh, it's not a top-down type of style mm-hmm. it's it's always it's i think uniquely among at least um uh, uh western fashion it's it's so much more focused on street fashion it's so much more certainly influenced by by sportswear street fashion and, and work yeah work yeah i know the, the curator says just a quick quote that he's trying to expand our understanding of what it means uh to be fashion by telling stories of designers that have often been overlooked and forgotten so perhaps mm. part and parcel with what's happening in the more visual art side oh, of sure. things you know looking for for people Absolutely. that have have been given not been given the play that they should have um, for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I would like to go to the Met Gala. Probably never will, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll never be say never. Oh, we will be at Bellman's, and I hope it's open by then. I mean, moving on from fashion to fashion, uh, Louis Guzer is having a pretty decent week, I would week. say. <laughs> What's John. up, buddy? Um, so he presented, as we, as, we were, as we were forced to discuss NFTs last week, uh, he presented an Urs Fisher NFT first on his Fair Warning website, right. and then it will be sold by some sort of Pace-affiliated thing. I don't fully understand because other editions are the same thing. I actually bid on Urs's NFT. You did. Oh, uh, that's right. I went up to, like, I think 27, which was about $10,000 more than I'd wanted to bid. Okay. Uh, and it was stuck there for about six or seven of the most terrifying seconds in my life. Because this wasn't for a client. I just thought, you know, I've been so resistant to NFTs, I wanted to somehow, and I really liked this one. You just one. wanted to help inflate Urs's NFT No, I just, I, no, I, I, if it, if it, if it, my target price I'd wanted, I would have been quite happy. And I was mm. going to get like an LCD screen and show it. Um, I'm a big fan of his work. But anyway, it ended up selling for just shy of $100,000. Right. Right. With premium. Yeah, but- you know, all, all in, as we say. Uh, I think it hammered it. I forget what I hammered at, 85 or something like that. Mm. Um, but in addition to this, then today, over the last, I don't know, 48 hours or so, additional details about the Salma Gundy uh, uh, painting have emerged that mm. he was instrumental in selling to MBS, uh, I don't know, four years ago now, five years can ago? We, before we get to the, 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 the quote-unquote Da Vinci, can we just talk about <laughs> Luis's uh, pretty incredible uh uh, chest thumping about about this this NFT on yeah, the please, eve please. Of, of the sale, because I mean I I think that just this needs to be just recorded for posterity. Him saying that 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 this work will be the magic pill that will turn art history and the entire landscape inside out and on its head, 
and he calls it a paradigm shift in history. And he says, chaos number one human may be the second time since the Duchamp urinal that the big reboot switch is turned off and on again on art history, which I don't know what that means, but I don't think that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Louis. Listen, we, we don't read auction catalogs for their scholarly, scholarly content. We <laughs> read auction catalogs for their, for their bombast, really. Uh, and, you know, if you're going to hire a great carnival barker, he would certainly be one that I would hire. Fair, fair. But, you know, the next day, meaning, I guess, today, uh, he, I guess, was vindicated by this new report in the New York Times. It said yeah, so that, let's talk about it. That about the, the Salvatore Mundi was, was real. It. Yeah, let's, let's talk about, so the, the, the Times comes out with clearly the, the, the Louvre and the French government coming out to, to deflect against a documentary that purports to say that the that Salma Gandhi uh, by Da Vinci is fake. Uh, the museum basically goes on the record saying, no, the reason it wasn't included in the big Da Vinci 500th year birthday show was basically, we've, we found it to be, as far as we can tell, an actual work by Da Vinci that had been very poorly restored and then, and then fixed up. Uh, but the owner, MBS, demanded that it be hung directly next to the Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so people, uh, to back up, people had presumed, and there had been a lot of chatter, that it had not been included because the museum had decided that it was not, in fact, real or only partially painted by Da Vinci, and that MBS refused to go along with that attribution uh, as it was hung in the museum. Mm. But in fact, they were on board, just mm-hmm. like, you know. No, um, it, it sounds like he was definitely overstretching here. I mean, that's a pretty ridiculous ask, right? To yeah, I think that any, any, any institution worth its salt isn't going to take curatorial demands um, from a from a. <laughs> From a loner. Oh, you would be surprised. <laughs> Someone who has worked in museums. Well, I think it depends on the demand, of course. But I think the Mona Lisa has such specific um, uh, needs in terms of the way it's displayed and, and the distance requirement and mm-hmm. the the framing and the guards. I mean, what does it mean to hang next to the Mona Lisa? Does that mean that you can't see that work up close either? Uh, I don't know. It just seems. And, but there's, I mean, there's also been a, a rumor or a suggestion that perhaps the the, the MBS and Saudis never really intended to actually lend it, and that was a, w- a way to make them right. say no, so they can hold it back. So its first public presentation after its showing in Rockefeller Center, where, when it was sold by Christie's, will right. be at some sort of new cultural institution and tourist destination that they will build, mm-hmm. which totally. will be a huge driver of tourist dollars and uh, and cultural capital. I would have to see like. For me to believe that that's a, a Da Vinci, I would have to see an actual thorough, like scholarly assessment of the work. And for that to happen, I think they'd have to have access to the work. No, supposedly there's a book length one that the Louvre uh, prepared and were, were ready to publish as a book in conjunction with the inclusion of the painting in mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. And I guess that um, versions of it or portions of it have been circulating in a PDF version amongst different dealers. Okay. Huh. Um, if anyone has it, you know where to send it. <laughs> I don't, I, I've never been as questioning as others. Like I think, I, I think uh, I, the, the the preponderance of the evidence, me thinks it is a Da Vinci that was mad, fucked up, and got a very, very nice bath. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought as well. Uh, it, it seemed like there was evidence of the provenance. It was just like maybe not that great of a Da Vinci, right? You know, I don't really think it's a Da Vinci. Okay, I'll go on record and say <laughs> that. <laughs> but I also think that there are. Um, Da Vinci's that are attributed to Da Vinci that are also not real Da Vinci's. Right. There's a lot of wishful thinking in the world of Da Vinci scholarship because there are so few works that people just, I think that very scholarly, you know, very accomplished scholars of Da Vinci just truly want to believe that there are one or two more Da Vinci's in the world. And so they'll just kind of suspend disbelief and it's this confirmation bias. Right. I, I think that there are a lot of signs in that, in the work itself that point pretty decisively away from Da Vinci to me. 
I mean, I'm not, look, I'm not. I don't think any of us are Renaissance scholars, but I mean, I buy that, but it's almost like an NFT, especially one that's in the private marketplace in that if enough people agree that it is a Da Vinci or worth what a Da Vinci would be worth, then that in a way blots out whether it is or not. Right. Well, there's a version of the rocks that's at the British, at the National Gallery in London. And that work, if you look at it alongside the, 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 um, actual da vinci version of the rocks um that's at the louvre which is clearly a da vinci and and has the under drawings i mean it has you know you can you can see very clearly that it's that it's him and not studio of um the british museum one has a lot of really remarkable differences like the 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 rock formations in the background are very angular that's much higher contrast the 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 shadows and the colors but the foremost da vinci scholar at that time was kenneth clark and he happened to be the chief curator slash director of the National Gallery in London and really, really wanted them to have a real Da Vinci. So I think that sometimes, I don't think it was some kind of, uh, um, I don't think there was any dishonesty involved. I think, and any Da Vinci scholar is going to come at me and tell me that is real Da Vinci. And, you know, that is what's accepted in Da Vinci We have a lot of real Da Vinci scholars that listen to the pod, so (laughs) that could be a problem for us. (laughs) Come at me, Rev Hatfield. At Um, at Andrea. (laughs) (laughs) I did study under a Da Vinci scholar named Rab Rab Hatfield. He was the guy who wanted to um, bust through the uh, Vasari ceiling in the Ponte Vecchio, Mm. um, which was going to happen. And then the Italian government at, at the last minute um, put the kibosh on the whole project because they said it was too risky uh, to the ceiling, which, you know, fair enough. I, I guess. I mean, speaking of Venice, <laughs> well, the, you see this thing where the, whatever the, the, the Venice City Council or version of has made it so that uh, it used to be all these palaces. It, Palazzo? Palazzo could be rented out for Palazzo. short... Palazzo. Palazzo. Yeah, Palazzo. Palazzo. Uh, could be rented out for uh, short-term art shows usually coinciding with the Biennale. Oh, yeah. No, and they, they have a... made it so that you cannot no. rent out. I forget the exact oh, thing, no. but you have no. to rent it out for at least a year plus oh, a day God. or something. But what about our parties? <laughs> what about our parties? Oh. What about I had an idea for a show I was going to do in a friend of a friend of a friend's like old family house that I was excited about. Yeah. Oh, so even private individuals who own it? Their... I mean, I haven't gotten enough into the weeds. I think it's only for a, for a commercial rental. But, what if it's a, but a private individual who owns a palazzo can no longer... I think they could do it oh, in a way. Because it's a cultural, because it's a, I mean, I'm sure they will do it. <laughs> I mean, it's Italy. I mean, so yeah. these are the published They'll rules. What happens may be different. Yeah. Uh, Worth is going to find a way to get a plot. <laughs> <Someone's> <laughs> gonna... Well, I mean, he'll just rent it for the full four-year term that's required. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> True. Well, money, money fixes will, a lot of problems in life. We will be at a house or a dinner at a plot, so come. Mm-hmm. The best of you know. I don't yeah, know if I mean... I'll still be invited. <laughs> 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 I've had my own issues there. But anyway. Well, um, I wonder what the motivation is. Just because it's a is it because it's a cultural uh, uh, you know what I mean, we'd call it a cultural the motivations for italian politics are always beyond me although it seems like they're finally getting the cruise ships perhaps out of the grand canal yeah uh, Weird. but i mean that that's a, like a, a federal or state level thing and like the city itself has always fought against that because it brings so many tourist dollars right even though it's ruining the city I bet i'm sure they can still can they still dock at the lido i'm sure they can still they're dock trying someplace. to find a way for them to dock in the in the industrial port yeah. uh, back over yeah. sick get them yeah. out of of like the, the grand canal it was always really dizzying to be looking down the street of these of these t- beautiful and and diminutive houses and then see like a gigantic skyscraper sized cruise it was ship surreal in the, over everything. In, in the worst kind of way it was, so like, it was like a batter's fisher actually. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. oh <laughs> yeah. wow 
Yeah, um, I know, you it's, know. it's much more comforting to only have the boats of the people you know they're owned by the people we know. <laughs> <laughs> true, true story. True story. Yeah. Um, but it made me really excited for Venice, which is I mean that's coming up. That's next year. Fuck yes. Oh my god, that's crazy. I know. Oh god. I, can... I mean, I'm hoping, and I don't know if people get the shots where like these things can continue because like I miss that, and uh, you know <laughs> it, should, it should have been right now, and it'll be by Cecilia Alemani. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. You know, she, it's been weird. She's been in, you know, basic lockdown. I'm not sure if she's traveling or not, but for the, certainly for a year, she wasn't able mm-hmm. to do the kind of road tripping right. that a biennial curator usually would does be, would for be sure. doing. But yeah. yeah, a year from now, we'll be sails out, nails out on some yacht. God, Also, there's art too. Yeah. I actually, I, not to sound too, too like preachy or, 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 or hokey, but I do kind of think that the past year has changed the way I travel and the way I want to travel like I do think that if I'm going to take an international flight I'm going to plan a longer trip and stay for a longer time instead of doing these like three-day jaunts after like a 14-hour flight it seems first of all pretty wasteful but secondly really exhausting I yeah I I when I was planning this trip to Mexico City that I'm going next week I did extend it longer than I normally would have yeah uh, just because like I want to see basically every museum that I didn't get to see last year when I went for five days sure yeah So yeah, that that's a good point. I think I did that even unconscious, unconsciously, like just you know. Well, and next year I think we'll also have Documenta, which will be open concurrently. I'm not sure if the openings will line up with the Venice Biennale opening. So you mm-hmm. have Documenta, mm-hmm. uh, and if you're an American, and perhaps Americans or even those from the East or South America, um, we'll be able to fly for Basel, go see the Venice Biennale, go see Documenta, and make a little grand uh, grand tour. Grand tour, yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I remember the, the last grand tour, 2017. What what a, what a tour it was! It was a grand tour. Well, yeah, that was, was that Munster was also Munster was also happening. Yeah, so we don't a Munster sculpture project. Hmm. But, oh, man, that was just the greatest. I remember coming back to New York after the Grand Tour, and I was like, what What do I do with now? Yeah. The Grand Tour I are... toured around <laughs> with a, a former colleague, and at the time he was a, a Sotheby's employee, or is. I uh, Martin Klosterfeld, in a very small <laughs> rental car mm-hmm. through Germany, stopping at various uh, various <gasps> wonderful Germany. towns. We had a really lovely flashbacks. birthday party uh, in, in Munster. Do you, do you remember that? I do. Whose birthday was it? Was it was Sarah Douglas's birthday. It was Sarah Douglas's birthday. Yeah. I, there was some schnapps involved. There was some schnapps <laughs> involved. Uh, it was. Uh, it was. I think it was a very small but very great crew. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a self-selected fantastic crew. The type mm-hmm. of people that would hit monster. Yeah. Which, for those who don't know, is a once every ten years project of public sculpture scattered throughout the city of Munster, which is like a university town, and it's a very bikeable city. And you you rent bikes, or so your hotel gives you bikes, and you bike between all these different sites, and. Uh, we had some some fabulous beer at like a two hundred year old old bar, and then we also had some schnapps to finish off, and then yeah, I might have biked home, I might have walked home, can't entirely recall. Don't remember, I was <laughs> yeah. blacked out. Yeah, somehow um, found found your way home. Yeah. But I do think that's the way to do it because I mean I remember when I was working at the gallery and when I was working at galleries in general, it was always like you'd fly over for a fair, you'd fly over for you know for Venice and then fly back and then fly back to Europe for Basel and then fly back and then and it was just like. And these things are about a week apart, and it just seems like it's a little bit absurd. I'm, I like where your head's at for someone like you or me that can kind of choose what we what we do, yeah. uh, unless a client's involved. I mean, I still think gallery owners and gallery directors are still going to have to do things like that. Are they, though? Because now so many people are used to having to working remote and having remote staff. I think like, if, if can you not send you, out previews I think if from ar- abroad? I think if your artist is somewhere, yeah. and they're doing a project yeah. you need to be there for the opening if they might have a show back in New York between the two you know they expect you there that could be yeah but I do think that like for those clustered events that are usually like one week apart you know for the fiac freeze whatever the, right. those kind of clustered things where I used to 
fly over, stay for four days, fly back to exactly. New York, stay for three I'm days. I'm do the same thing. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. for the whole three weeks or I'm just picking one or the other. There's no way. And I there's a lot it. that you can get done. Gotten. And it's like, if you can work remote, I mean, sending out a Basel preview is not, you don't have to be anywhere to do you know, that. You know, I think in, for me, I think just, you know, the soundtrack, you know, as I'm sitting there hanging out in Europe between these two events is, you know, cats in the cradle as my, my children <laughs> grow up without me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true having kids having kids is a dip. that's true that's the only reason i think to fly, fly we'll back and i'll accept soon i know we'll have a good time soon i know i mean yeah, also i'm not trying to say that like singing on the podcast <laughs> definitely definitely no one is asking for and now yeah i bust out my ukulele <laughs> uh, what else is going on this week man what are you excited for uh a, a few things uh today i was writing a little preview for or, or uh, weekly um, editor's picks just about the show that's opening at Tramps on Saturday that sounds quite intriguing though I don't have any details about it apart from the artist <laughs> list I mean um, Tramps is quite intriguing as a project mm-hmm. right oh yeah um, and it, it tell the people what it is well it's it's, uh, uh, a, it's a gallery that is um, on uh, Chinatown I guess the two bridges part of Chinatown of the Lower East Side uh, it's up it, in that mall, right? It's in a mall that is specifically under the Manhattan Bridge. Mm. Uh, and so it gives it this sort of kind of secret-ish vibe, though it's you know, it's obviously not a secret. That's where Mirabelle had her space, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, it's, it, you know, it's traditionally held some pretty heavy-duty shows. The Kai Althoff show that was two years ago, I think, was, was a, yeah. a favorite of mine. Uh, Hottie has had... Uh, some pretty amazing shows. I mean, it's run by a director of what gallery? Uh, a director at, at Michael Werner Gallery. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, and it's name. quasi-affiliated with Michael Werner, isn't mm-hmm. it? Funded, I think. Yeah. Yes, but uh, it's it's uh, Parinaz uh, Mogadassi is the, is the founder and director of Tramps. They also have a location in London. But um, yeah, so... Michael over- Werner is my favorite feminist gallery. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We could go there. Long pause. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no one wants to touch Sorry, that. Sorry, go on. <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, this Saturday, uh, Parinaz announced via the Tramps Instagram that there was going to be a show opening this Saturday, like just out of the blue. There was nothing on the what, website. Who's the artist list? Uh, it's it's a lot of very intriguing names. Spencer Sweeney, uh, Peter Doig, who is married to Parinaz, Um Matthew Higgs is oh. apparently in the show as an artist, uh, as is John Kelsey, who is an artist but also has a gallery, Mina Spallings. Um And a writer. Yes, and, and of course, the writer. Haley Wollens, who I think is better known as a stylist, is in the show as an artist. As is... I mean, this is sounding a little tragically hip to my ears, I have to yeah. say. <laughs> well, this is, this is right up my alley. So. This is right up your alley. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that on Saturday, though. Again, I don't know what the show is exactly. Hmm. Um, Some and... objects in a room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and did you go to, there were a couple openings of new or new-ish galleries in Manhattan this past Saturday, right? Did you go yes. down to uh, Sigma? No, Theta? Theta, yeah. Come on. Theta. I did go to Theta. That's Jordan Vars's new gallery. It's fabulous. Uh, it was a really, really wonderful Love show. Love in a really delightful space. It's underground, but it's not, uh, it doesn't have the feel of one of those stuffy, you know. Like semi-basement level spots. Right. It, it's a very, it's very well lit. The, like, 
they just did an incredible build-out job in this space and what I understand was a very short amount of time. Um, I had a really nice chat with the landlord who has been there since uh, the 70s and who was very excited to have this gallery in her building. Oh, is she like an art-affiliated person or just Not a fan of really. the creative she, arts? She, she uh, is a very you know, older woman who's just yeah, lived there for, for a very long time. I think the space was... Uh, Inhabited by a fashion designer who used it as like a sort of showroom uh, that wasn't really open to the public, and she was very excited to have it uh, public facing again as a gallery. Um, and you know, she said that I was like, "How old is this building?" She was like, "Well, it's like two hundred years old. Like it's like a I, like really historic building." And it's on Franklin Street in Tribeca, across from I just learned this Taylor Swift's apartment, which is <laughs> oh, well, maybe yeah. T Swift will be stopping in to pick I up know. some. Honestly, I think Jordan and Taylor sure would get along. Jordan and Taylor would totally get along. Right. Well, but Jordan's but, one of the kind of like coolest people around. <laughs> right, exactly. makes sense. They would totally get along. So I mean, far know. cooler than T Swift, I would argue. But did Taylor but, quarantine in New York? Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> did, did you follow Cuomo's guidelines? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, Taylor has homes in Los Angeles and Nashville and London. I, no, I, Rhode Island, Rhode Island, and Rhode Island. Nat- that was her big thing. Was yeah. her like her big Rhode Island? Push. You know a lot about Taylor Swift, Nate. I'm impressed I'm and surprised. I'm a fan. Of, uh, Are you I'm not a, a fan, know, like an obsessive or not is obsessive, it okay. but, but I'm a long time Taylor Swift <laughs> fan. I'm very open about that. I just remember that she did a big push for Rhode Island being like a cool vacation destination, which she I really had, liked. I know. She had it's like a profoundly she... uncool claim, which I really like. <laughs> yeah, and the, beach, the beaches are no good, man. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. But I mean, I kind Talk of about love sales it. out, nails out. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a drinking state with a selling problem. Exactly. Yeah. And where is her? It's not in Newport, is it? It's in some random ass town. I don't know. Yeah. It's in some random ass. It's not Newport, but it's, I assume that it's close by. I mean, how big is Rhode Island? She would have those really obnoxious parties that like she would invite like half of Hollywood to and then take tons of pictures and have everyone Instagram it from in Rhode Island yeah that, that was not my went. favorite Taylor era <laughs> I'm sorry to bring up a, a difficult memory for you <laughs> it was a little, a little tough you know, at the time thankfully that's all over she's settled down with her incredibly unmemorable boyfriend um, <laughs> I, I, just I, the way I, you I, like him struggle to remember his name I think it's Joe Alwyn he's an actor oh right he's been in no movies I, can, I, I have no <laughs> idea oh my god he's, I, yeah. he's a kept man it's okay I, I have no all, idea this is such a hot button issue for this. Yeah, I, did I, I found, didn't found to keep <laughs> <laughs> we found the Achilles heel <laughs> everyone wanted to know alright I think that's all I have this week you got anything else Nate did I miss anything that we said we'd chat about Andrew Yang Oh, yeah. don't vote for Andrew Yang. He's terrible. Dude, I, listen, you know what people, you were, the people, you were Yang Yang like I'm going to, I'm going to talk to the ago. people straight. I'm calling I, you on I that. got, I got sucked in, seemed cool, change, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I wasn't really paying attention. Love this. Local politics. Love this I started to dig. The man's an empty suit. None of the ideas make any sense. <laughs> and worse of, I mean, I just the you. icing on the cake is him threatening to arrest more churro ladies. That, and yeah. that's just, I mean, the, any man who doesn't want to put a churro lady and a tamale lady on every corner is not going to be a mayor for me. I don't know anyone who thinks that way. Like, that's just like I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I'm going to tell you definitely do not vote for Scott him. Stringer. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, former colleague of mine, David Friedlander, wrote a great profile of Stringer in this week's New York Magazine. Highly yeah. recommend you read it. Yeah, I, I don't. I have not made up my mind as to who I will vote for. I haven't yet, either. But. Stringer does have really strong foundations in New York City politics, specifically. Mm-hmm. Unlike Andrew Yang, who doesn't yeah. have a foundation in any sort of politics, let alone right. in New York City. Um, 
and also just doesn't seem familiar with the actual issues facing New Yorkers day to day in any way. And that's what's so depressing right. about it is that a lot of it's he's a definite ENFP big idea guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> much like that. myself. I think that's why I was attracted Look, to him. Look, same. But it's like at a certain point, you do have to. Uh, I do think that it's it's he it just feels like heavy ideas and not coming at it with any kind of like inspiration inspiration or or connection mm-hmm. to the actual people he's to purporting the lived to serve. experience of people in the city yeah i think that there's something to you know new york is a really specific place with a lot of its own problems and uh yeah arresting arresting churro ladies and bringing amazon headquarters isn't necessarily it's not really like groundbreaking um uh, propositions I, remember, I remember back in 20 i guess what was it 2013 when the last you know open mayoral race was going i went to a party at nick Denton's house and one of his Gawker writers I asked like who's gonna win this was like around this time yeah in the cycle and they were like de Blasio's gonna win I yeah. was like hell no this guy's like fifth in the polls like he's not gonna win yeah and they were like just just nothing matters <laughs> until the, the last few weeks like yeah de Blasio's gonna win I think that that's the sort of counter narrative run stringer right now yeah that it's like you can look at the polls and like you know he's like down but just don't think about it like yeah. it doesn't matter so yeah i agree i mean it's 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 really early days now but it's just like I mean, but it's not i mean we're like june 20 i better get this right yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah we should know we're telling everyone to vote and we're like you vote you know on a day you know yeah i i i think that also de blasio kind of de blasio came at his campaign with a really specific set of uh um with a really specific ethos that didn't bear out in any way. Of course um, not. It, it seemed appealing at the time to a lot of people. Yeah. And I also think that it's um, n- notable that... I was right. June 22nd. Oh, you June 2-2 will be the, the New York Democratic mayoral primary in June New York City. June 22. Yeah. Which is effectively the election. That's the election, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think that de Blasio, you know... Did you know that his real name is Warren Wilhelm? <laughs> True. I knew that at some point in my life, but definitely suppressed it. You needed a refresher on that. (laughs) Phil de Blasio. Welcome to my nightmares tonight. Warren Wilhelm Jr. is de Blasio's real name. Look it up. He changed it to appeal to the Italian base. He's a fucking Red Sox fan. He's a fucking Red Sox fan. He's from Massachusetts. Well, there's nothing wrong with a Red Sox fan. Oh, God, I forgot. Right, Boston in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Although I'm think, I think I'm you know just because it was art adjacency I think I am becoming a Mets fan you know by so by that's osmosis. music to my ears oh god we need to go out there also I believe horse racing's back Belmont, music to Belmont that kid ears let's play the ponies I would love to go to the opening of Belmont when it happens like that'd oh, be a fun road absolutely. trip anyway that's it for us thanks god. for listening what an incredible edition of Nerdvenny thank you so much for for joining yeah, thank you us. Oh, it, was it was so was great to have you here it was we my pleasure you. I brilliant just, I hope I contributed my scholarly brilliance <laughs> we had to have one intelligent person here this is the least dumb one yet yeah low bar but still Nerdvenny out bye all